The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Chaos in Congress with Kevin McCarthy out as speaker. Who will get the gavel next? How long will it take? And what impact will all this have on the budget, the deficit, and potential credit downgrades? We're live in D.C. with the latest. Plus, crude crumble from an oil spike to an oil spill in just one week. WTI now down nearly 10% in just the last five days. What does it all mean? We'll debate it. And later, a special edition of Trade It or Fade It. We'll show the traders this one-year chart and ask them, based only on what they see, whether this stock is a buy or should get kicked you to the, the curb. The show hasn't it's away from you. It's getting away from you. We're excited. talk yet. We're excited. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. <laughs> Tim Seymour, who's already made his appearance. Chatty, chatty, Steve Tim. Steve Grasso, Kai Dami, and Julie Beal. And we start off with the potential fallout from the turmoil in Washington. The House currently without a permanent speaker after ousting Kevin McCarthy last night. So who's throwing their hat in the ring? When will there be a vote? What will new leadership mean for Congress's fiscal agenda? Let's get to CNBC's Emily Wilkins for the very latest on this. Emily. Hey, Melissa. Well, the race for House Speaker is underway. Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan both officially announced today that they will seek the gavel. Other members are looking at a potential run, including Congressman Kevin Hearn. And the House, here's the schedule. They're going to be meeting Republicans on Tuesday, so they're not going to be having a speaker until then. On Tuesday, they're hoping to have a candidate form. They really want to coalesce around one candidate. And then we could see the vote for the next speaker start as early as Wednesday. Now, whoever wins is going to need to hit the ground running. The new speaker will have only a little more than a month to actually figure out a way to fund the government before a shutdown. And that could also mean grappling with funding for Ukraine. Jim Jordan told reporters today that that probably is not going to be a top priority for him. What I understand is at some point we're going to have to deal with this appropriation process in the right way. And we're going to try to do that in the next, what are we down to, 41 days. Um, the most pressing issue on Americans' minds is not Ukraine. Republicans are also discussing making changes to the House rules to prevent the next speaker from being ousted as easily as McCarthy was. That movement is getting backing from the Senate's top Republican, Mitch McConnell. I hope whoever the next speaker is gets rid of the motion to vacate. I think it makes the speaker's job impossible. And the American people expect us to have a functioning government. It remains to be seen if Republicans can actually coalesce around a candidate quickly or if we're going to have another 15 rounds of voting for speaker. Melissa? 
Emily, thank you. Emily Wilkins in Washington for the very latest on this. The market did rebound today despite the uncertainty in D.C. The Nasdaq leading the gains up more than a percent, while the S&P was up eight-tenths of a percent. The Dow was up 127, but still in the red for the year. But could that turmoil in Washington put another strain on stocks and Anybody who watches Fast Money knows we are not a political show. We don't usually start the show off with what is going on in Washington. But to the extent that the eight Republicans who ousted effectively McCarthy yesterday, they cited mostly fiscal responsibility as the reason why, to the extent that Moody's underscored, as well as Fitch's downgrade back in August, underscored dysfunction in the government as reasons why they're putting the, the credit rating either on watch or downgraded. That is why we start off with this tonight. Guy. Yeah, and that's why yields were, well, one of the many reasons yields have been going higher. And you're right, when, and this is not going to be political. But what's interesting that Emily mentioned, Ukraine. And mm-hmm. so people are going to say, you just you're always bearish, you're using your dogma. But I'll say this, if I'm in Ukraine right now, I'm worried in terms of the next speaker, potentially one of the, I don't know, one of the things they have to adhere to is we are not going to fund Ukraine anymore. So that, but then you have to ask yourself, what is this? What is China sits back and looks and say, this might give us sort of an open door potentially to sort of escalate things with Taiwan. So I don't think this is particularly bullish for the markets, in my opinion, through that lens specifically. I think you could make the case that there is a bullish angle to it if you have someone who's more fiscally responsible, and if the, that group comes in. And they don't want spending because now everyone's talking about spending. Sure. And if that group pulls the reins in, that could be seen as a bullish tailwind. Right. In the long run. Definitely. Well, look, the, the agenda that includes uh, not funding Ukraine is fiscally positive for, for, you know, for our balance sheet. Let's be clear. And, and uh, uh, Moody's has used the term governance to describe either dysfunction or, and I've said this before, I've invested in emerging markets. I've spent a lot of time looking at governance issues and sovereign ratings in places where they're always in question, whether it's Brazil or whether it's Turkey, with all due respect. You know, uh, the fact that it's an issue and it's an issue in the bond market and it is an issue in the bond market. And, and I think it's playing somewhere into uh, not front and center. It's not like we're still the flight to quality. Let's be clear. But when you think about uh, the, the term premium that people are at least starting to price into the yield curve, so needing more to move further out the curve, maybe that's why the 10 yield is going higher. There's a lot of reasons, uh, including Washington and including the fact that there are central banks around the world that uh, often are using treasuries as an instrument that may not be as active for different reasons on their own. So um, we can't point to to Moody's and the ratings agencies as as an opportunity to say this is why uh, we're going higher. It's another ingredient in the stew. And, and I know you want to get to Julie, but the the other thing is is that it's not going to be 15 rounds of, of voting again. It can't be. They're going to make sure that it doesn't happen. So they'll coalesce around a Scalise. He's probably the one that's going to do it. There's a couple of other spots there. There's a speaker. There's the majority leader. There's the whip. There's enough room to go around. Okay. Well, Julie, how do you how do you factor all this going on in D.C. into your market view? You know, I mean, I think the level of chaos that we're seeing is worse than, than what I experienced with my high school roommate. I mean, it's just really, really messy. And I think what we need to keep in mind is, you know, we agree that the U.S. is the reserve currency, and it's pretty hard to peg how much that has benefited our economy, that we get to borrow at such cheap rates for our expansionary policy that we've had for, you know, kind of the last couple of decades. So if that starts to deteriorate, that has pretty meaningful consequences considering the level of deficits that we're looking at. So I worry kind of about the long-term implications of this much squabbling. It doesn't make us look good. 
Yeah, and it's interesting to mention the dollar in the context of the dollar's run of late and just the dif- currency differentials, which is making the dollar stronger and, and causing it to rally. I, I, like, I, I know I've been saying weaker dollar, and I've also acknowledged I've been wrong. And, and the most important thing here is the dollar at some point will have to give ground. And, and I, I look to gold, I look to precious metals, and I think there's a real opportunity here. The same things that people are so scared about that have them driving up yields and doing all these other things to the market, um, I think have something to do with, with where the dollar is. It's interesting. Real quick, you know, Jim Jordan said that Ukraine is not top of mind for the United States. I get it. 100 percent. But Poland probably wasn't top of mind for Americans in 1939 when Germany invaded. And it wound up being a much bigger situation because we sort of turned a blind eye back then. Now, history is clearly repeating itself. And I understand you don't want to be the policeman for the world. Totally get it. But one has to ask themselves, you know, if we were to take ourselves out of this equation, what is the, you can't do the counterfactual, I know, but what's going to happen to the rest of the world if that, in fact, happens? What happens? That's what I'm concerned to, about. To Julie's, Ju, Julie's point, what happens if we don't get the debt under control? So we look, it looks clownish. It looks terrible. It's making sausage to the 10th exponent. But if we don't get the debt under control, we look clownish and and it looks terrible as well. That that has to be addressed. So it's clownish either way. I I think it's clownish either way, but no one has the ability to say... Let's get the debt under control because it's the entitlements that are 70 percent of it. Well, let's bring it back to a market show because I think we're getting political because you can make an argument about what's important or not. And politically, everybody's got a different idea. But how about the United States government from a trader's perspective that was effectively uh, borrowing a lot of money at zero rates and now has to pay even more money back at higher rates? And it's only getting worse. And if you think about the fiscal dynamics of this, it's amazing. And and it's amazing where we are and where this isn't going to change. And this adds into, you know, Jim was here last night. I mean, we are having this conversation with really smart people that understand that both the technical, the fiscal um, and even call them the qualitative or the, the, the governance factors here. But um, yields gave ground today because the economy looked weaker. We had a couple data points and amazing. Are we rooting for a slightly weaker economy? I, you know, that is also absurd. All right. For more on the turmoil in D.C., let's bring in Sahil Kapoor, senior national political reporter at NBC News. Sahil, great to have you with us. Um, what's your understanding of, of the timeline of, of when we will have a speaker in place? Hey, Melissa. Well, it's not clear yet. What we do know is we expect House Republicans to huddle early next week, likely on Tuesday, to talk amongst themselves in what they're calling a candidate forum for uh, potential new speakers to introduce themselves to the conference and make their case. Then they could uh, get in a room together and vote as early as Wednesday and see if they have a consensus choice. Now, remember, they could do this one of two ways. They could get a majority of their conference, uh, pick a a speaker candidate and move to the floor and then see what happens. That's what they did with Kevin McCarthy, and he ended up needing 15 ballots to get elected. One thing that former Speaker McCarthy said to Republican lawmakers, according to a source I spoke to in a room when he announced his intention not to run again yesterday, was that they shouldn't do that again on the floor. They should all coalesce behind a candidate and then move to the floor to avoid, uh, you know, to save the country from that spectacle. So who is it going to be? There are some candidates who are already in the mix. There is Steve Scalise, currently the House Majority Leader. He officially announced his intent to run today, put out a letter to colleagues. He is the natural heir to Kevin McCarthy's speakership. There is Jim Jordan, the first candidate to officially announce. He used to be a far-right agitator uh, who ended up becoming uh, the chair of the Judiciary Committee. He's ubiquitous in conservative media, a favorite, certainly, of many on the right. And then there's Kevin Hearn, the chair of the Republican Study Committee, who 
before the Freedom Caucus came along, that was the conservative group. Uh, he is actively considering a run. He has not announced yet. Those are the three key names to watch right now. Everybody else, I would consider a dark horse. Far from clear who is going to get the support, guys, because, you know, it's, uh, former Speaker McCarthy spent his nine months in the job dancing on the knife edge of functionality and paralysis. Is anybody going to be able to do a better job with this narrow majority when you're dealing with a Democratic Senate and a Democratic White House? Remains to be seen. Yeah, which leads me to the question, Sal, which is, you know, the reason given by many of the eight Republicans who basically voted to oust McCarthy was fiscal responsibility and a desire for more of that. Do any of these leading candidates have that ability given the dysfunction within the party? That's the million-dollar question. Can any of these candidates do what Speaker McCarthy could not do in that job? And remember the reason that Kevin McCarthy was not able to do more about, you know, reducing the deficit and getting discretionary spending cuts that uh, many conservative, many Republicans want is that Democrats control the Senate. Democrats control the White House. Joe Biden is president. You have to get him to sign a bill in order for it to become law. And Kevin McCarthy did favor much more in terms of spending cuts than the Senate would accept. So the question becomes, how can any can any of his successors get the Democratic-led Senate to accept more spending cuts than they're willing to now. And I got to tell you, I've spoken to numerous senators today in both parties, and they say the answer is emphatically no. You're not going to get a more right-leaning candidate in the House of Representatives to be speaker and force left-leaning senators to accept cuts they won't. And by the way, you guys, I heard you guys talking about uh, entitlements and mandatory spending cuts. That is off the table, I got to tell you. Even Kevin McCarthy, even his right-wing hardliners say they don't want to touch Social Security and Medicare. Those, pro those programs are very costly, but they're also very, very popular. And there simply isn't the political will. They're talking right now about 30% of the budget, discretionary spending, and half of that they don't want to cut because it's Pentagon. So it's really a small sliver of the budget that they're even having a discussion about. I would not expect anything meaningful to happen on the debt or the deficit, no matter who becomes speaker. Sahel, thanks so much for joining us. Great to get your take on things. Sahel Kapoor joining us from Washington tonight, um, which leads us back to fiscal spending. It's still going to happen. It's still going to be out of control. And so what does that mean? When does the weak dollar trade actually come in or is there too much going on around the world? that is effectively bolstering the dollar at this point? Well, I mean, in terms of current account surpluses and whatnot, actually the euro could go higher. Um, if you look at what's going on in Japan, the Bank of Japan has is, is really also been kind of a circus in terms of their policy. They have inflation. They've been manipulating their yield curve. They've been manipulating their currency. I think they intervened. No one said that for sure yesterday. So, I mean, there are arguments that there could be other places that, that give the dollar. I mean, the yen should be appreciating. The, the reality is it should be. Um, and the euro certainly... Like, be careful also about yields backing up. We think yields backing up. Here's a problem. We haven't even begun to talk about the pigs. We haven't talked about Italy, Greece, and Spain, and Portugal, um, which at times were, I, I, would market, I would argue, 10 years ago was how we got here. Julie? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. It's the U.S. is really kind of the best house in a really bad neighborhood across the U.S. It, it, it is the probably the most stable with the most vibrant and dynamic economy. So I think we continue to be reserve currency. I just think that rates stay high. Uh, to, in order for investors to be compensated for the higher risk, just honestly. So what what'd you make of today's market action? It's good, actually. Yeah. I mean, the fact that yields traded up 10 years, got up to a little north of 480, reverse, that's good. Maybe they exhausted themselves today. That was a good sign. You know, yields, 10-year yields could go back to 4.5%-ish and still be in this up channel from the spring, which would probably be positive for the broader market, number one. If that were to happen, the dollar would probably fall on the back of it. And we're going to talk about it all next block, but that should be supportive of some of these commodities as well. But 
I don't know how long that's going to last. I still think the trajectory fields is higher, although today was a good sign that they might go down for a couple weeks. I think the major issue that, that we talk about but no one really focuses on is QT. No one, no one, that's always happening in the background. That has a, a huge amount to do with the, the, with the rate, at least the chart on rates right now. If I had my wish list, I get the weaker dollar. I think rates are going to fall off a cliff. I do. And I think that's going to shock the market and the market's going to rally because everything is so pent up. I think the market is oversold. I think rates are uh, 10 years oversold. So I do think that you're going to see that reversion where you see oil come in. Sounds like a short term reversion. It could be a short term unless we start to put the damper and the reins on QT. We haven't heard any of that from Chairman Powell. And that's the main reason why you're seeing rates rally well, like this. What's oversold is the stock market. And, and it, it, it's all relativity. I mean, in terms of at least over the last six to seven weeks, I mean, where we've put positioning. And, and I'm just going to point out that today we closed near almost a record relative high of the NASDAQ 100 against the S&P. So in other words, where's leadership come from? It's come from the triple Qs and it's come from the SMH or semiconductors. Uh, and if you look at the performance of the market, I know it's not you know, an exciting moment in terms of the overall performance, but, but Qs are back near that July 18th level when they hit all-time relative highs against the S&P. The semiconductors are up 4.6% against the S&P over the last nine trading sessions. So where you wanted leadership during a down market, I think it positions you for the same leadership to take you higher for at least a, a seasonal run. Coming up, crude crash, oil sliding sharply from recent highs, down more than 10% in just the last week. So just how much lower will energy prices go? The commodity convo next, plus souring on Apple, one longtime bull downgrading the tech giant, and even head honcho Tim Cook is offloading shares. The traders are biting into that one when Fast Money returns. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude oil falling nearly 5% to its lowest close since late August. Crude is down more than 9% in the last week as inflation and high interest rates stoke demand fears alongside Saudi Arabia, confirming plans to cut production into year end. Uh, we were just talking about this huge snapback. Yeah, I feel this to me today felt like a bit of an unwind of a lot of different things mm-hmm. happening, which occurs, so that's fine. And I've been bullish and it was right until two, three days ago, now it's reversed. I don't think it's over by any stretch of imagination. All the things we've talked about for a year, supply-demand imbalances are absolutely still in place. And you've seen sell-offs before in crude oil of this magnitude. They're all at critical levels. OIH traded down to support, XLH, all these things that we talk about. But I am not here to give up on the energy trade by any stretch. No, I, I, I don't know how you can. I don't know how you get around major structural issues, including U.S. Alter, you know, shale um, having peaked uh, you know, in terms of the growth dynamics. And you can make an argument that's not going to grow. And the 8 to 9 percent yields we had out of U.S. shale, Permian, et cetera, um, is now more or less flat. I, I don't know how you're getting uh, a decade of lack of infrastructure investment. I think Saudi is the only spare capacity out there. I think demand's not going to fall off a cliff. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think the politics of oil keep it high. I've been negative on the stocks, positive on the actual commodity. And I think the stocks are more or less reacting to backwardation in the oil market, meaning forward contracts are, are cheaper than present contracts right now. And if you look at every chart in this space, they all just fell off a cliff. I, I am not bullish on these energy companies. And, and I, it remains to be seen whether demand enters the calculus going forward for the commodity. Why is gold just... Languishing. Dollar. Languishing. Dollar. They're so just because of the dollar. Higher yields, uh, yeah. U.S. dollar. And if you look at if you look at gold miners, if you look at those plays within the mining space that are gold dependent, there's a couple money managers that often are correlated, and they've been destroyed. And and, and, and I do think precious metals are going to have their day. And in fact, if you talk to all the doom and gloom guys, what are they holding in their basement? Gold. They've got a lot and of gold. Why don't you it's play guys' game? If you had known what the news is, where would you say gold would be? At this point, inflation through the roof, rates through the roof, gold should be where? Mel sounds a lot like Steve these yeah. days. Yeah, a little deep Hold froggy higher. And it's anywhere but higher. I mean, we're multi-month lows here. But, again, dollar higher, rates higher, not good. But as Japan continues to sort of do this slow-motion implosion, mm-hmm. I mean, gold, last year, central banks bought a record amount of gold. I think it was 72 tons or something. Um, no, $70 billion worth of gold, 1,221 tons. They're on pace this year to do exactly the same. Just hasn't manifested itself in the price right. yet. Theoretically, as Steve had mentioned, there's every reason to own gold at this point, though, Julie. I, I mean, no, right? It doesn't have earnings attached to it, so I'm not interested in it. Um, I understand the underlying fundamentals for, for gold and commodities, but I think it's, you know, if, if there's anything that we've learned from this year is that all the forecasts for all of the commodities were just dead wrong. And, you know, you recognize, you really see it in what's happening with the price of oil is you have one player and really one person that is actually determining where things are going. And the level of control that they have is just, it's just to me, it makes it really hard to invest here. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. The Big Apple getting sliced. A longtime bull cutting his rating on the tech titan. And even Tim Cook is reducing his stake. What the CEO selling means for the stock. Plus, healthcare home run. There's a fast pitch coming your way. And our next guest is throwing some heat on stocks that could be a Grand Slam investment. The name's ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Longtime Apple bulls at KeyBank downgrading the tech giant to sector weight from overweight today. The analysts saying valuation concerns and a potentially weak hardware upgrade cycle could weigh in the stock. CEO Tim Cook also shaking things up by selling more than half a million shares of Apple stock he received as part of a performance bonus. Those shares were worth more than $88 million and netted him over $40 million after taxes. It was his largest share sale since 2021. Um, the reasons that behind the downgrade... Basically, valuation is stretched when you take a look at the revenue growth rate that is expected. It's been down three quarters in a row on yeah. a year-over-year basis. This, these are the things that have been pointed out, Tim, by you, in fact, and many others. Yeah, I, I just – and the, the multiple at this point mm-hmm. is a problem for me. The discretionary spend uh, trend overall for the consumer, the China news that is probably, I think, been more headline than actual so far. But I, I – you know, I – I, I love Apple as a company. Uh, I think what they can do from a capital markets perspective, they can engineer earnings because they can buy back stock. Um, it's it's it is hardware as a service. It's just too expensive here. I think it needs to go lower. Yeah, but it's a mature growth profile, Julie, according to this analyst for premium valuation stock. Yeah, but I think a lot of what what Tim's saying is true. You, I'm willing to pay a little bit more for a really strong management team and very good capital allocation. And I think they have opportunities in front of them still. You know, you look at this chart, let's take it on a super long-term basis. You have to think about every time you would have wanted to sell if you'd owned it for the last 10 or 20 years, right? And, you know, it's it's really hard in moments to say, I'm just going to sell this on stretched valuation. I understand the argument to be made for it, but I always look at long-term charts and think, how is it that people have been able to hold on and make a lot of money doing that? Yeah, I'm still long it, and it, and it really showed you, you something. It you bought it recently. So I bought it. I bought it in the in the 170s, and then I was waiting for a close below 170. And if you look at it, it threaded the needle. It didn't close. It traded below 170. Did not close below 170. I'm still long the name. And to Julie's point, in this time, in these times of unknown environments, multiple environments, where would you rather put your money? Yes, Treasuries. But Apple is one of those as well. It's best days of, of behind it, though. I mean, like, you know, How, why? Well, I mean, it, not that this is really at all academic, but this was a $45 stock three and a half years ago. The stock's gone up three and a half, four times. I mean, I, I think yeah, you've had an enormous growth period and you've, you've taken the multiple that was, eight, you know, 11 or 12. And at times you've tripled it. Now you've come back a little bit. What other multiples have done, though? It's everything that we do is on a relative basis. So there's a lot of other places you can go that have a more stretch multiple than Apple. And when times are uncertain and when rates are going through the roof, you want a cash fortified balance sheet where uh, where the company does not need to borrow. Is that it's defensive. But but when things hit the fan. Mm. But I would push back a little bit and say Microsoft's re-rated, but it hasn't. it's, It's always been a software multiple. Apple's re-rated from a hardware company to a software company. You can't tell me that these other mega cap techs haven't re-rated less than Apple. 
Um, and I, I, all those defensive things about Apple are, are very, very true. I think that's an, to a software company at a time when, when people might be pulling back, particularly in the app store, in mm-hmm. their services business, right? Which so, is why they get the multiple that they get. I mean, all the things that the analysts pointed out are things we've said for a while. And I understand what, I understand what everybody's saying. I mean, when this stock is making all-time highs, which it typically does a couple times a year, that whole own it, don't trade it makes a lot of sense. The problem, of course, is five, six, seven times over the last five, six, seven years, you've had 25 to 40 percent peak to trough declines. And we're seemingly it's in the great one lately. now. So uh, It's traded really well. I'm not, you know, you can't argue with that. Stock does go down, I guess, is the point. Right, right. Julie, how expensive will be too expensive for Apple in your view? Uh, you know, there's no such thing as like, you know, a, a perfect price target. I think for me, it's relative to everything else you have in your basket. If this remains your highest quality holding, you don't just want to hold it because it's, you know, hit your artificial price target, which, you know, I think if we look at how much the stock price has moved just in this last year, right, it really kind of points to the fact that valuation is pretty subjective and oftentimes very emotional. So, you know, I would just say, I think people are willing to pay for quality right now. And I think it makes sense to do so. But you really have to bear in mind, it's in relative to what else you own also. So here's a question. Mm. Okay. Right. And I guess Sounds I can put this in the, would you rather, with Steve yeah, Snuck, by it. the way, Steve Snuck Package this any way you yeah. want. It didn't, yeah. it didn't go by me without noticing. Mm-hmm. Um, would you rather a T-bill right now or Apple stock? What's my horizon? So the, the next six months. Until there's another speaker. Six months. <laughs> six months. Tim. Uh, T-bill. T-bill. Steve. I'm in Apple. Got I'll it. go Treasuries. I'll play your game correctly. Julie. Apple. Absolutely. Wow. We're split right down the middle. Split. Split them up. The Interesting. Okay. You want to break the tie? It's run no, by grown-ups. I, know I, don't have too. Question. I, I have no, I'm, you know, She's agnostic. All right. All right. Anyway. For now. Coming up, <laughs> looking for a home run in the healthcare space. Look no further. The bases are loaded with three names that our next guest says are Grand Slam investments, and they don't include Eli Lilly. Mizuho's Jared Hulls is here with the names and the pitches when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing near session highs today as Treasury yields dip from 16-year highs. The Dow jumping nearly 130 points, snapping a three-day losing streak. The S&P up eight-tenths of a percent. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq leading the gains up 1.3 percent, its best day since August. The consumer discretionary sector leading the S&P higher. Some cruise lines and hotel stocks helping boost the group. And take a look at shares of Clorox. After hours, the company is slashing sales and profit estimates largely because of a cyber attack. Mm. That affected operations. Wow. I thought, like, not in the ability not to push price increases, but the cyber attack. That's kind of interesting. All right. Meantime, as we head into baseball's postseason, we're bringing back nice. the fast pitch with a focus on health care. Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk has been t- have been taking the lead in the space this year, thanks to the popularity of their weight loss drugs. But our next guest says some other names are about to break out. Mizuho Securities' Jared Holtz joined us on set to make the long case for these particular stocks and and healthcare overall has been terrible aside from these two names and particularly for investors who might want to even cycle out of these names a little bit take some money off the table you are looking at three others right starting with abvi that's your favorite yeah i think so i mean I, I am trying to find other kind of beacons of hope in a sector that's been terrible for most of the year i mean it's really very akin to most of the market right there's very narrow leadership Lilianovo, we've discussed so many times this year. 
there have to be other things to own at some point, I would think. So I think AbbVie, um, for me, and large cap pharma is pretty well positioned. They're going through their patent loss as we speak. We don't have to wait and fear for 2027, 28, 29. We're kind of like we're in it now. They're introducing new products in markets that they know very well. Those products are doing very well as we speak. The multiple is pretty low. It seems like earnings are basing at around $11, and they're probably going to tick up from here. So I feel like it's palatable, not, you know, maybe not a home run, but certainly maybe a double. Slap in the a cap. double up yeah, the alley, sure. something like that. A double sure. in the gap or something would sure. be fine, in given nice. where we've been. Um, I also think Biogen... <laughs> You know, for, for years we've been talking about an Alzheimer's drug. Mm-hmm. It's finally here. No one cares because the stock has gone straight down. Um, obviously, there are some logistical concerns about Lakembi. Are patients going to get it? You need MRI brain scans, and it's tough to get these patients to infusion centers. But we're finally here, and the stock is trading at the lowest multiple in years. Meanwhile, you know, finally an Alzheimer's treatment that works, and they're going to you know, iterate this and make it better in future years. So I feel like that one's fine, too. Feels like Merck's got caught up in this selling that Eli Lilly's been under over the last. So it's just selling everything, ask questions later. But at a certain point, Merck, I think, gets pretty interesting. Here at $102, there was 120, not that it matters. Mm -hmm. But I got to believe Merck's sort of getting on your radar screen as well. Agree. I mean, we've, we've been talking about Keytruda as the biggest blockbuster that's going to decline over the next few years, not actually over the near term, towards the end of the decade. I think they've done everything right. Keytruda's beaten almost every quarter. Uh, massive drug. There's thousands of clinical trials that are using Keytruda as a backbone in, in oncology. Um, plus, they've done two really, really smart deals over the past couple of years, both around $10, 12000000000 billion. They can do more if they wanted to. But that's another one. You know, we haven't seen this stock trade so low. And if you kind of strip out animal health, which is a small piece of the business, the Remain Co., the pharma business is around 11, 12 times earnings, which I feel like, given everything we've seen happen to Eli Lilly going parabolic, there's probably some value here. Again, may not be 120 soon or 130, but I think you're getting a very good price if you have some time. Is there firepower in the pharma space, the bigger players, to do tuck in acquisitions and acquisitions as Lilly did just yesterday? Because XBI is not act. Usually, when you see a deal, you see a little perk up in XBI with the hopes, and, and really the only thing that you saw move on the back of the point acquisition was Lanthius, right. which is exactly the same sort of business, so mm-hmm. that wasn't a big stretch. But right. there was no perk up overall in, in other potential targets out there. Totally right. Lanthius has partnered with Point. It kind of validated that whole relationship. Um, for the last year or two, M&A has not been a driver of sector performance. I mean, we write as though it is, and every biotech analyst on the planet will tell you that M&A is the biggest driver of this space, and it has done nothing to improve the complexion of the XBI. And to answer your first question, yes, there's a tremendous amount of firepower. I think most investors probably suspected there would be more activity. It's possible that the Pfizer deal and the Amgen deal slowed things up a little bit, but there's so much money out there. There has to be more, has to be more. Jared, let's go back to the baseball analogy, because I, I feel like when you're talking about Biogen, we're not talking about a singles hitter. We're talking about, I mean, you're swinging for the fences on some level for, for a company that's got as much progress in Alzheimer's as anybody. This isn't, 
and, and it's trading at a cheap multiple. So and let's let's stay with the sports analogy. When someone's a, a cancer in the clubhouse, it means that no one trusts them and they're, they, they, you know, they're bringing down everybody else around them. And on some level, uh, that's been the problem here, too, especially with some of these announcements around Alzheimer's. The market doesn't believe them. They don't believe the numbers. They don't believe even this gradual launch and con- what seemed like very, very conservative uh, estimates and, you know, out there. So isn't this really one? I, I think this is of the three stocks you brought, the one that has the most upside. It might. If they get this launch right and they continue to innovate and this becomes an injectable drug and not one where you have to go to some hospital center to get infused for an hour twice a month, I think there's a lot of upside here. I think there's obviously some PTSD in this stock. It has not made investors any money. I think that's the problem with healthcare in general, especially large cap pharma. It has not been a moneymaker over the past five to 10 years. So there is some historical look back and it's not positive. But if they start to get their act together here, there's a new CEO. They've just did a, they did a deal, which I think most people are pretty positive on. Yes, it can get its mojo back. It just might take a little bit of time. But yeah, there's a lot of upside. Alzheimer's were finally here. I would have thought that people would have cared more. The street would have cared more. And it just seems like there's still apathy. So maybe another couple quarters of results and this thing can get going finally. Yeah. Are you feeling like investors are just they're tired of waiting for the sector to snap out of it? Um, and with with T bill, I mean T bills are a real competition. I mean, like you're five percent right? with no with no risk. I have versus not, a sector that's been under pressure. I haven't seen healthcare investors this kind of like broadly despondent and since I've been doing this really, because no no area within the industry has really worked, right? You've got two major winners. A couple idiosyncratic bets have worked and paid off. But by and large, med tech is down, life science tools are down, pharma, biotech, there's just no beacon of hope. So I do think that investors are starting to get like just very concerned about if this doesn't turn at some point soon, it's going to be more trouble for sure. Jared, thanks for coming by. Thank Always you. Always good to see you. Appreciate Jared it. Holtz. Love Jared. It's interesting. Biogen, you go back a decade, it's, I think it closed at 260 something. It was the same. Now, with that said, you've seen 40, 50 percent move in this stock. And if they get Alzheimer's right, it goes from a 30 billion dollar company to a 100 billion dollar company. I think Tim makes a good point. But Merck, to me, either side of 100 dollars is the most interesting in the group. I self would you rather a couple of weeks ago on Amgen versus oh, you Lilly. Did, you did it tonight, too. But, yes, I'm glad you and he's kind of doing it now. I, well, Tim's been cryptic the whole night, so I need a decoder ring on, on your analogies. But it's oh, been great. I feel like, okay. I feel like I'm good. Uh, well, baseball well, analogies. Baseball, yeah, yeah, it's all right. People so, watch so baseball Amgen, except for in Tampa. Amgen, you, you had named it the holy grail on, on the GLP inhibitors. And when you look at what's really sucked up all the oxygen in the room, it was the vaccine makers. Then it turned into the obesity drugs. Amgen, when you look at that chart, put it against uh, Eli Lilly, and you'll see that Amgen's obesity, obesity drug is actually starting to ramp, gain some attention. That's going to be the next big winner in the space. Julie, how are you feeling, how are you feeling about healthcare these days, pharma? I mean, with us, it's really hard to get excited about something that's so binary where you're so dependent on approvals or not. And so I'm more comfortable with businesses that are either supplying the pharma companies, so something like a Sertara that does biosimulation for them, or like a company like West Pharmaceutical, which does the the vials and the drug delivery mechanisms so that you're not dependent on FDA approvals and patent cliffs. Coming up, a dining drag. Mm. Are resuming student loan payments could impact the restaurant space? Should you waste your time on these names? That's next. And CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's a senior VP of Coca-Cola. I proudly embrace my Hispanic heritage 
because my heritage is deeply rooted in family values and at the same time, Hispanics boost economies through the millions of small businesses they own, innovate in science and tech, holding patents in space technology or winning Nobel Prizes in chemistry, and play critical roles in public service, from Congress to the U.S. Supreme Court to many other areas. Hispanic Americans are and will continue to be a driving force for progress. Welcome back to Fast Money. Restaurant stock profits getting burned recently. Red Robin, Shake Shack, Papa John's, and more deep in the red over the past month. Should you 86 these stocks from your portfolio? Um, Tim, you brought up the poor performance of this group earlier today. Well, it's it's a combination of, uh, you know, we talked about labor costs. We, we brought up the minimum wage dynamics, but we've talked about cost inputs. We've talked about margin. We've talked about the great pull forward. Um, and now we're talking about just to, to some extent where uh, I think the consumer being stretched, where are they going to trade down? So there are certain segments that probably work. But, you know, you look at McDonald's and, and this is a, this is a company that I don't own and I want to own it. And I'm going to get there because I think, it, you know, it went from a multiple when it was traded close to 300 which was, you know, 31, 32 times. And it's a great, great company. The global scale, the global brand, the efficiencies there. Uh, but I think, I, I, I think restaurant stocks go lower. Yeah, um, Wedbush had a really interesting note uh, trying to sort of figure out, tease out the implications of student loan repayments. And they said between 2 and 3% of U.S. discretionary spending could disappear because of student loan repayments. And that will really impact the restaurant stocks. We'll see a lot of trade downs happening. Uh, within the space. Makes a lot of sense. Tim's right about McDonald's. I mean, you're getting it at a price you haven't seen in a while. It was a $300 stock a month and a half ago. We're still in about a 10-year uptrend, which is Mm -hmm. intact despite this move lower. It's remarkable how, and it has sold off a little bit, but CMG hangs in there like a champ. And that's in the face of a crazy valuation in an environment where the market seemingly cares. And an expensive burrito. Yeah, it is. Those things aren't cheap. No, Well, I know that. You want to sort of How give much is your burrito you t- with the extra chicken, no tomato? I think 13. I think it's like 13 11. Bucks. I was there the other night. Yeah. 13? Yeah. They, they, by the way, they, when you get there near closing, they don't have all the ingredients, and it's frustrating. So you did know? you get a discount? No. no you, I mean, Why can't you get there a little earlier? <laughs> That's what they basically the make thing. me think. Uh, what I mean, what, what are you doing at 11 o'clock at night that you need a burrito? I mean, I'm, I'm busy. I'm just, All right. I'm busy. I'm Apparently. just getting stuff done. What can is I this t- before the pint of Ben and Jerry's or afterwards? No, that's, that follows. But, I mean, that's sitting in the freezer already. So uh, now that we know my diet. Julie, how do, you, how do you feel about restaurant stocks? No, I, I think I think I agree that the you know there is a lot of risk in terms of both trade down and student loan forgiveness. My only kind of wonder is if, Workers are having to come back to the office more, and as the tide turns towards that, does that help some of these businesses with their lunch category? And that's like a pretty high incremental margin for some of these companies. So I think it will depend. But that's the only, you know, I generally am pretty gun-shy on restaurants. All right, coming up, would you buy this stock hmm. based on this chart? Mm. I'm Let's nervous. see if our traders would, a special traded or faded blind chart edition is coming up next. And here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is chatting exclusively with the CEO of Molson Coors. Catch the exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is time now to play America's favorite game. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite game. 
It really is America's favorite game. Trade it or fade it, but there is a wrinkle in today's mm. episode. The traders don't know the stock or the fundamentals. We're just going to show them a chart, and they have to decide based on what they see in that chart. It is the Trade It or Fade It blind chart edition. So here we go. This name is up nearly 5% over the past year, but it's seen most of its strength since December. Based on this chart, would you trade it or fade it? Julie, what do you think? You know, prior to meeting Carter Worth, I always thought that charting was kind of like astrology for finance bros. But I've, I've come to see that there's a lot of wisdom to what he says. I'm, I'm going to fade it because I don't understand topping or bottoming. Like, the only toppings I know are guacamole. That's all I know. <laughs> all right. Steve Grasso. Yeah, so you can look at this both ways. There's something in this chart for everyone because you made a lower high and you also made a higher low. So there has to be a day of reckoning on this. So there really is no wrong answer on this one, but I would fade it because of the lower high. Tim? I see that chart is, is holding that uptrend um, going back you know, to early part of the year. It's only up 5% year over year. But uh, can I give the name of that? I'm trading it. No, can we're I give not going to give the name yet. Oh, we're okay. not giving the Smart, name sorry. yet. Sorry, I trade it. trading it. Guy. I think Steve's right. Lower series of lower highs. You have this pennant formation. You have the uptrend that's been in place for almost Growing a year. The, the pennant formation. Mm-hmm. Listen it to you. It's a bit of a pennant it's formation. I can us. see that. And if you think the broader markets have run into some trouble, that's a chart I think you may want to fade there, Melissa. Okay. Interestingly, let's guess what this chart is. Oh, wait, wait. Yeah, we wrote it down. We shall reveal we wrote it down. what this we wrote chart it down. is. Look what we oh, did. Wow. Tesla, Tesla. To everybody, yeah. right? You got, yeah, you I got thought it was Microsoft. It's Tesla. Tesla. Tim and I got it right. Yeah. <laughs> that is Microsoft. <laughs> he actually has that written down. Yeah, I did. Microsoft. I, did. Dude, I didn't really even look at the chart. No, I'm joking. Yeah. And I know why you did that, because if you told me it was Tesla, I wouldn't want to buy it. Exactly. Mm, I know. That's why I know. we That's did this. That's we didn't why we do it more this. often. No biases. Just look at the chart. Can you imagine if Dan was here? Oh, this is mine. What would he say? He would have had to. I'm dying to know what Carter Worth would say. Maybe he'll no lines, no, no nothing. No, no, like no, pin, no let's look opinions. And, and let's look at it together. No, let's it let's together. do this together. Okay, we, we did figure to it out. To the penny. All right, so three fades, one buy from Tim, who has not liked Tesla for a long time. All right, check out shares of Rivian down in the after-hour session. We're watching that one. That, despite the company upping its Q3 revenue forecast due to the increase in deliveries, there's also a release saying that the company announces a green convertible senior notes offering totaling $1.5 billion. We're seeing that. Decline in the stock of 7% at this hour. Um, it would be smart to raise money mm-hmm. at this point when in time. You can. When you can. So. Yeah, and but the stock's probably, oh, I'm, not, I'm looking at it now. It's probably paying for it in the aftermarket. Yeah. So we'll see. Now it's going to be contingent upon how, it's had a decent run. How well does it hold these levels or does it build on it tomorrow? That's what you have to wait and see. Yeah, Grasso? Well, the stock was up over 9% in regular hours. So they figured today's as good a time as any to do it. And it, this has been a level where it has held, to Guy's point, where it's held pretty recently. So I still own it. I think that you'll probably see people go in and buy it. No one's going to remember this in a, in a week from now, hopefully. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Julie Beal. Uh, Jack Henry, JKHY, let's see factors here. Tim Seymour. Uh, I liked our baseball themed uh, biotech segment. Biogen, I think, is very interesting here. Steve. Rivian, massive move since June. It's got a whole $20. I'm still long the name. 
Scott. You know, Tim talked about bad clubhouses in MLB. I mean, it, it happens in Shea all year. So this will be a house cleaning, as we've already seen, uh, Medtronic MDT Mills. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.